Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The War Within. All right. Well, if you were with us last week, you remember we covered in that message how God gave his law to his people. Right around 1500 BC or so, you remember this? God Almighty came down in fire and engulfed, his presence engulfed Mount Sinai. So if you can kind of picture it in your mind once again, imagine fire coming down out of the sky. God's presence is in the fire. It comes down upon Mount Sinai, and it says that the mountain is smoking like a furnace. Um, The mountain is also shaking, and so there's an earthquake. And so while there's an earthquake and while the, the mountain is smoking, um, you remember the thunder claps are, are rolling and there's lightning bolts and they're, it's all right there in Exodus 20. Lightning bolts are flashing, right? There's a trumpet from somewhere. That's, that thing is blaring louder and louder. And so in that context, God verbally gave his will in the form of 10 commandments. So we'll go over them again this afternoon like we did last week. But God actually spoke, before Moses wrote it down, God spoke, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. God wants to have first place in all of our lives. He said in commandment number two, you shall not make or bow down to any graven images or idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, keep holy the Sabbath. Number five, honor your mother and father. Number six, you shall not commit murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not lie. And number 10 is you shall not covet. And as God spoke his 10 commandments, he spoke his character. He spoke his will. And the response of the 2 million plus Hebrews that were camped out in the Sinai wilderness where they were literally trembling. Now, question, you can answer out loud. Do you think God's law is good or bad? Help me out. It's really good. In fact, Paul would agree with you. We'll look at verse 12. That's the verse we ended on last week. Paul says in chapter 7, verse 12, therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and what? Good. Okay, so there's no problem with God's law. The problem is how many people view the purpose of the law. Everybody, please say purpose. Okay, so you have God's law, that's good, but then you have the way many people view the purpose of the law, that's not so good. You see, in the first century, Paul's, many of Paul's Jewish contemporaries, they misunderstood the purpose of God's law. They thought that they would be justified that they would be saved by keeping the law of God. And so in their minds, this is how um, uh, the wheels turned in their minds. If I can just you know, honor God, commandments one through three. If I can just honor his Sabbath, commandment four. If I can just honor my parents, commandment five. And in addition to that, if I can just avoid murder and adultery and stealing and lying and coveting, then God will approve of me. Then God will accept me. Then God will justify me by my works. Right or wrong? Absolutely wrong. 
God's law cannot save us. That is not the purpose of the law. God's law cannot save us. Here's why. Because every single one of us have broken God's law. And so this afternoon at 1.06 p.m., I am looking out at a bunch of lawbreakers. And if I had a mirror here, I'd be looking at a lawbreaker in the mirror. Okay, the Bible says in James 2.10 that if you keep the whole law and yet break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So what's the purpose of God's law? It's not to save us. Again, it's to show us. That's what verse 13 is all about. Has then what is good, the law, become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, there's the problem, that it might appear, I want you to underline the word appear, please. But sin, that it might appear sin, or be exposed as sin, or be revealed as sin, or be shown as sin. There's the purpose of the law. Was producing death in me through what is good, that's the law, so that sin through the, what's the word? commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So Paul was saying, hey, when I'm confronted with God's law, for example, number nine, you shall not lie. Number 10, you shall not covet. When I'm confronted by God's law, what happens is that I realize that I have lied and I have coveted. And so the law shows me that I'm a lawbreaker. The law reveals to me that I'm not just a sinner, I am exceedingly, end of verse 13, I am exceedingly sinful, and I need a savior. Remember from last week, the law is like an MRI, right? And so the MRI doesn't cause sin, does it? I'm sorry, it doesn't cause cancer. The MRI doesn't cause cancer. The MRI doesn't cause death. No, the MRI, when they put you in that tube, it reveals cancer so that you can go see a physician so that hopefully you can avoid death. The law is like that MRI machine. The law doesn't cause death. That's how he opened up verse 13. No, the law doesn't cause death. The law doesn't cause sin. What does it do? It reveals sin and shows us our desperate need for the great physician, Jesus, who can save us from spiritual death. Does this make sense to you guys? All right, so now in verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I, there's the problem, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I am carnal. Okay, so Paul says I'm carnal. What's the word carnal mean? The word carnal literally means according to our old sinful nature. So the bad news this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, is that everybody in this room, myself included, we all have a sin nature. It's synonymous with the old nature or the old man or the old woman. Um, it's synonymous with the flesh. So all of us have a sin nature. You remember this verse from chapter five? You know, where do we get this old nature from? We already covered it. Therefore, just as through one man, who is that one man? Adam, 
Just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. By the way, pause real quick. You know, some people, they get all hung up on this idea of there's so much death and suffering and pain and sin and crime in the world. What's wrong? If there really was a God, there wouldn't be all this stuff going on. And they try to blame God. Listen, the devil will try to trip you up with that kind of thinking. God, it's not God's fault, it's our fault and the fault of our first daddy, Adam. We're the ones to be blamed, not God. God made a perfect world. God made Eden. He gave us a free will. And Adam blew it and we all blew it. So therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so Adam disobeyed God. You guys know this now. Adam disobeyed God by um, deliberately eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge and the perfect man, Adam, attained a sin nature. That's pretty bad. But what's worse is then he passed his sin nature to the entire human race. And so Paul is saying in verse 14, the problem is not the law. You see, Paul's enemies hated him, and they're always saying that Paul hates the law. Paul thinks it's a problem with the law. Paul thinks the law causes sin and death. He says, no, the problem's not with the law. The law is spiritual. The law is awesome. The problem is with me because I have the sin nature, because I am carnal. And if I'm not careful, I can be sold under sin. I can be enslaved to my sin nature. And so the bad news is, again, we all have a sin nature, the old nature, but the good news when we turn to Christ in faith, he gives us a new nature. Now, this is super good news for everybody. Paul's done with justification. He's now talking about sanctification. He's done with being justified, uh, declared righteous before God by faith in Christ. Okay, we're done with that, Romans 4 and 5. Now we're moving in to sanctification. How to be, uh, justification is being saved from the penalty of sin, Sanctification is being saved from the power of sin. That's where we're at in our Bibles. And so when you think about this whole thing of sanctification, did you know that the new nature was promised way back in the Old Testament? It's the promise of the new covenant. Okay, we already talked about the old covenant, Mount Sinai, 1500 BC, 10 commandments, right? Now, check out the promise of the new covenant given by God through Ezekiel. He says... I will give you, what kind of heart? A new heart. And I will put, what kind of a spirit in you? New spirit in you. Do you have a new heart? Do you have a new spirit? He goes on to say in the promise of the new covenant, I will put my spirit, New King James Version capitalizes spirit, speaking about the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to break all my commandments. Is that what it says? No, no, no. I'm gonna put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. All right, and so when we turn to Christ genuinely, right, in faith, what happened was the Holy Spirit came inside of us, but that's not all. He also gave us a new nature. And we actually, now that we're new in Christ, 
Now we want to serve God. We don't do it perfectly, but now we actually want to serve the Lord. And so it's such good news um, that we have this new nature, but the bad news is we still have the old nature. And the old nature is not gonna be annihilated until the resurrection. And so we have this old nature. There's two natures inside of you and I if you know Christ. And the two natures are at war. Check out what Paul said to the Galatians. We'll put Galatians 5.17 up. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are, what's the word? Contrary to one another. It's the flesh versus the spirit. It's the old man versus the new man. The old nature versus the new nature. The old woman versus the, the new woman, right? And so you have these two natures and they're fighting inside of us. And sometimes the battle can get very intense. Paul described the battle, verses 15 through 21. Okay, so please follow along in your Bibles. Look at verse 15. For what I am doing, that's talking about sin right there. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, synonymous with the old nature, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. Here's the problem. How to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Can anybody relate to this? Oh, I know you're so sanctified, you can't relate to it, right? Oh, by the way, did you know, and some of your study Bibles are wrong, by the way, did you know that Paul was not describing in verses 15 through 21 his experience before he met Jesus Christ? No, no, no. The way we know that is in the original language, the verb tenses change. In other words, okay, verses 7 through 12 the verb tense is the past tense. So in verses seven through 12, he's describing his time before he met Jesus Christ. But then the tense of the verb changes in um, the 13 through 21. And so now the verb is in the present tense. Okay, so all the verses that we just read, verses 15 through 21, that's Paul describing his experience as a born again believer. So ladies and gentlemen, if Paul struggled against sin, that means you and I are gonna struggle against sin. That leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, believers often experience a battle between their two natures. Again, can you relate to this? And somebody says, you know, but I thought the Christian life was supposed to be filled with peace and joy and rest. 
right? I thought the Christian life was like a bed of roses. Just me and Jesus walking off into the sunset. You're not describing life on earth. You're describing life in heaven. We're not home yet. Have you noticed we live on a rebellious planet? Have you noticed? Have you read the news? <laughs> this world is not our home. Hey, right now, for those of us who are born again and Christ is number one in our lives, here's what I know. Christ reigns in our hearts. But one day, he's going to split the sky and he's coming back literally and he's going to take back what's his and he's going to reign over the whole world. Literally. I look forward to that day. I'll clap too. I can't wait until the son of David comes back and he makes the world back into the Garden of Eden. And he rules and reigns as the son of David over Jerusalem, and over Israel, and over the entire world. What a great day that's going to be. That's something to keep in mind with the elections coming up, with all of us being so disappointed by who we have to vote for. Hey, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to rule and reign, and it's going to be awesome when he comes. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for the king of kings when he comes? Most people are not. That's why there's a tribulation coming which is another sermon. Okay, so if you belong to Christ, it's true that there'll be peace and rest. There'll be joy at times in your life, but often you're gonna experience a war. You're gonna experience a war within. And it's so sad, ladies and gentlemen, when we allow our old nature to win. It grieves me. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna take the role this afternoon as like your coach, okay? Imagine your track coach in high school, and sometimes, I don't know what kind of coach you had, but sometimes that coach in love, because he wants the best for you, kind of gets in your face a little bit, because he knows you're capable of more. Okay, that's, that's, that's how I see my role this afternoon, okay? So, hey, it's so sad when we give in to our old nature. And then we excuse it in the name of grace. It's so sad when the alarm clock goes off in the morning and we know we're supposed to spend time with God and yet we turn it off and roll back over into a deep sleep. What just happened? We gave in to our old nature. So sad when we're driving down 995 and somebody cuts us off and when they cut us off, out of our mouth flows all kinds of profanity. I mean, you're thinking, not me. Okay, so uh, for those who have been cut off and lost your cool, what happened there? You gave in to your old nature. Somebody offends you during the day, right? And you're so angry. You're just like, oh, knotted up inside. And all you can think about is what that person said. You have other responsibilities with work and family, but all you can think about, you rehearse it, nurse it, curse it. All day long, whatever they said to you, you're, you're saying it over and over in your mind. And now you're starting to dream about how you're going to come back and give them a piece of your mind. And then you're nursing it. It's like, this person's wrong, I'm right. And so we're just nursing our old nature, right? And then we're cursing it because we're so mad. What are we doing? What are you doing, born-again Christian? You're giving in to your old nature, Somebody says something on Facebook you don't like, and all of a sudden, before you know it, send, right? 
and then all of a sudden they send back and you and now it's like right right what have you done you've given in to your old nature your kid accidentally spills milk on the dinner table and what do you do you're just like what's the matter with you right you start yelling and the kid's hair is flying back right it's like You gave into your old nature. By the way, parents, I love you, but what are you doing screaming at your kids? Don't scream at your kids. You're wounding their little spirits. You're stopping them from becoming all the Lord wants them to blossom into. Don't, there's other ways of discipline. Your friends invite you to the club down in West Palm Beach and you go and there you are standing at the club with a drink in your hand while everybody's dancing out on the dance floor, dancing like they're having sex and you're standing there with a drink. You're, you've allowed yourself to go into an environment that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. What have you done? You've given in to your old nature. And I know some people will say, Pastor, you cannot preach like that. People will not come back. Here's what you got to understand about me. I don't care how big our church is. I want people to live for the Lord with all their hearts. I don't want you to play church. I don't want you to put Jesus on the back burner. I don't want you to go through some religious motions. I want you to know Jesus, not in your head, but in your heart, and put him first in your life and walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a beautiful day that'll be when that's our experience. I don't care if we have 500, 1,500, 5,000. Who cares how many heads? The question is, are we living for the glory of God? Are we living for the glory of God? I'm sorry for spitting on you, brother. I'm going to step back a little bit. Ah. Can we just get real and, and serve the Lord, right, with all our hearts? We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be sinless. The goal is not to be sinless. The goal is to sin less. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Guys, you see a woman, she's beautiful, dressed in immodest clothing. Martin Luther says it's one thing for a bird to fly over your head, it's another thing to let the bird build a nest in your hair. And so now all of a sudden, you're thinking about what would it be like to be with her? You've given into your old nature. I want to honor my wife, not just in my actions outwardly. I want to honor my wife and the Lord and my thoughts inwardly. And we can do that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came inside. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. Again, not sinless. We're sinning less as we're sanctified and becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so what happens is we, we sin, right? We let the old nature from time to time get the upper hand, verse 15, for what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate I do. And we think, why in the world did I do that again? Oh man, I hate myself, right? 
Now, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road of guilt and shame, beating yourself up. God will never beat you up, by the way. God loves you. He's your daddy. He'll lift you up. He may get in your face like the track coach and really encourage you to move on in your walk with the Lord, but he's not gonna beat you up or kick you while you're down. And so here's the question. When Paul or any of us who've been made new in Christ, when we revert back to our old ways, is that really the real us sinning? Okay, look at verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but, what's the word? Sin that dwells in me. And now look at verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but what? Sin that dwells in me. Now don't misunderstand, Paul is not trying to evade responsibility for his sin. What he's saying in the context is, Jesus Christ has made me a new man. When I received Christ, he gave me a new identity. When I received Christ, he gave me a new nature. And so when I fall back sometimes into my old ways, listen, I'm not being true to the real me. The real you, if you know Christ, is not the old nature. The real you, if you know Christ, is the new nature. And it's the same thing with me. And so, hey, Christ made us new. Christ gave us a new nature and a new identity. And so when we fall back, hey, yes, we take responsibility for our sin, but we gotta understand that we're not being true to who we really are. And that's why we have to walk in newness of life. We have to act who we are. And so why, why in the world do people, do Christians, fall back into the old nature, the old ways from time to time? I'm convinced that it has nothing to do with a lack of desire to do what is right. Follow me here. I don't believe it's a lack of desire. Because Paul said over and over in verses 15 through 21, he says, quote, what I, what I want to do, I do not practice, okay? What I will to do, I do not practice. In other words, Paul is saying, I wanna do right. <laughs> I wanna do right. So the problem is not a lack of desire. What's the problem? The problem is found in verse 18. Please find verse 18. He says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. I wanna do right. Here's the problem right here. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Your next point, if you're taking notes, our problem is not a lack of desire, it's a lack of willpower to overcome sin. Now, if Jesus is not on the back burner of your life, if you really want him center in your life, if you really wanna be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, you gotta get that. If you really wanna walk in the victorious Christian life, again, not sinless, but sinning less, have victory, you gotta get that. Your problem is not a lack of desire, it's not that, it's, it's a lack of willpower, human willpower to overcome sin. And this is played out or shown in verses 22 through 24, check it out. He says, for I delight, the eye, you know, the, the new nature, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. By the way, quick side note, it's not in the notes, but the, word, the words inward man there are synonymous with the new nature, 
And that's another reason why this whole passage here in verses 13 uh, through the end of the chapter does not describe Paul's experience before he got saved. Because if this was the old Paul, the unsaved Paul, he could never say what he said in verse 22. So it's not just the verb tenses that changed, it's also verse 22. Okay, so for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. What's the next word? There's the war within. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Now think about that for just a second before we move on. Paul is just like, just so frustrated with himself. He's dealing with guilt. He's dealing with shame over his sin. He cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. Now that cry, oh, wretched man that I am, that's the cry of somebody who's given temporary dominance or is given over uh, to, to his old nature temporarily. The cry, oh, wretched man that I am, is the cry of, of a born-again Christian, listen, who's living by the motto, you just got to try harder. You got to get that part, too. You really want to live for the Lord, okay? It's, it's a born-again Christian who's saying, I need to live for the Lord, so I got to try harder. Sheer willpower. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, right? Now, here's what you need to know is that sheer human willpower can accomplish a lot of things. I mean, you can go to universities and get advanced degrees and become super intelligent through sheer human willpower. You can um, uh, train and work out and, 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 and perform at such a high level in athletics that you know, pack out stadiums with 80,000 people just there to watch you uh, do some athletic whatever it might be through sheer willpower. We've heard stories of POW survivals and the different wars and how these guys, you know, um, um, survive for months, sometimes years in the most brutal conditions through sheer willpower, okay? So, hey, sheer willpower can accomplish a lot, but there's one thing. Sheer willpower can never accomplish. It will never defeat your old nature. Saying that I can overcome my old nature through sheer willpower is like saying this. I can defeat Mike Tyson when he was in his prime. You guys remember Tyson when he was in his prime? I know I'm dating myself back in whatever it was, the 80s or whatever, but I used to watch this guy with my mouth dropped open because he's not that tall, right? But he is like knocking out these big, tall guys like redwood trees. He had this incredible um, uh, uppercut, and he talked about how he would like to sometimes drive the bone in the guy's nose into his brain and kill him. I don't know, but anyway, um, trying to defeat your, your, your sin nature in the power of your own Sheer willpower is like trying to beat Mike Tyson. Listen, you may go a few rounds, but you're getting knocked out, period. You're getting knocked out. And so, hey, what we have to understand, it's not through sheer willpower. And Paul, I believe Paul writes this in such a way in verses 15 through 21 to make just that point. Okay, so let's read those verses again and notice my emphasis here. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, 
I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will to, um, not to do, that I practice. For if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. You see, I, 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 I. What's Paul doing? Paul's relying on himself to overcome his old nature. And it never is successful. So the key is not I. The key is found in verse 25. But let's read verse 24 first, okay? Oh, wretched man that I am, who, not what, who will deliver me from the body of death? Here's your answer. I thank God through Please read the rest of the sentence. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's your answer right there. It's not what in verse 24. What will deliver me? It's not you. It's not your friends. It's not the self-help section of Barnes and Noble. It's who? It's Jesus. And it's not knowing Jesus in your head. It's knowing him in your heart. Being filled with the Spirit, it's remaining in His words, hanging out with the Lord. And when that happens, He's in us. And He's not just in us, He's living through us. And then when the old nature tries to come against us, the power of Jesus knocks that thing out. You see, the key is Jesus. Look at the end of verse 25. So then, with the mind, that's the new nature. I myself serve the law of God. Okay, that's life according to the new nature. Praise the Lord. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. That's life according to the old nature, and that's not good. And so it's like this. Everybody, please look at me, up, up at me for a second. You've, you've heard me say this like five years ago if you're around. Okay, it's like there's two dogs living inside of us, a good dog and a bad dog. Okay, and these two dogs are fighting against each other in our hearts. Okay, what dog wins? The dog you feed the most. So if Jesus is not on the back burner, but you really wanna be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, you need to starve your old nature and you need to feed your new nature. Okay, and so check it out. Next point, if you're taking notes, starve the old nature. I love Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make how much provision? No, none. Come on, Pastor Mike, lighten up. You know, just a little bit. No. Remember the track coach getting in your face in love? Because that's the role the Lord plays here with all of us. Hey, no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. No means no, nada, none, zilch, zero, no. Okay, so what does that mean practically? This is about as practical as you're gonna get. 
That means that we absolutely avoid like the plague the people, the places, and the things that tempt us to sin. You avoid it like the plague. And so if your old friends that you had before you came to know Christ, if being around them tempts you to sin, find new friends. Stop hanging out with them. You say, but Pastor Mike, I'm trying to win them to Jesus. Listen, if they're tempting you to sin, let somebody else win them to Jesus. God's not calling you to win them to Jesus, right? God, God's sovereign over this whole thing. And so, hey, find new friends. That's why we have life groups here. You know, our life groups are awesome, and we want more and more of our life groups in the neighborhoods because we believe that it is the best way to minister to one another as Christians, but it is also, it's also a great way, right, to be able to reach out to our friends who don't go to church and our neighbors who don't go to church, right? But, but here's the difference. When you invite, an, invite a, an unchurched friend or an unchurched neighbor to come into your life group, then you've got, like, what, eight Christians and maybe a couple people that don't know Jesus yet, Okay, that's totally different than you hanging out with all your buddies that tempt you to sin. Make no provision for the flesh. That means that if you have um, a temptation to overspend money, cut up your credit cards and just carry around enough cash in your wallet a little bit so you make sure you don't overspend. That's making no provision for the flesh. If you struggle with lust, Get a filter for your laptop and make sure that thing is blocking out anything that's inappropriate coming up on your laptop. Because, and by the way, covenant eyes, I heard, is a great filter. You can put covenant eyes on your laptop or your computer. It'll, it'll screen out all that junk. Make no provision, right? No, none. That means the paid movie channels, HBO, Showtime, Encore, Cinemax, you don't have those. Why? Because why in the world do you want to sit there in your living room and watch two naked people having sex? What are you doing? That's not living for the glory of the Lord. That's making a lot of provision for your flesh. And so if you're, and by the way, some of you have all those paid movie channels and you're not even tithing. What's up with that? Right? I told you I'm going to be the track coach in your face. I want to encourage you to live for the Lord. Hey, we're not playing church here, okay? And so get rid of all that junk. Make no provision for the flesh. Listen, it'll be a weight on your ankle for the rest of your life if you give in to that junk. Only tape stuff on your DVR that's positive and healthy for you and your family. Starve the old nature and then, check this out, if you're taking notes, feed the new nature. Oh, this is good. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may, what's the word? Grow. grow. Guess what happens when you grow? You get stronger. Guess what happens when you get stronger? You begin to overcome sin in a consistent way. Right? Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so you take in the word of God whenever you can. That means you come to church on Sunday. By the way, 
Did you know that church attendance is not a suggestion? It is absolutely a commandment of God? I'll read it to you, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, quote, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That doesn't sound like a suggestion to me. And so, hey, listen, on Sunday mornings, God wants you here. He wants me here. You know, I'm a pastor. I know that. But uh, we all need the local church. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Why? Because God knows we need the word of God. God knows we need to stand corporately in the presence of his people to sing our praises and our prayers to him, to sense his spirit, to fellowship with one another, and then receive his word. And as we receive his word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But if you avoid this place, listen, if you avoid this place, you will be in bondage. Okay, it's not a suggestion. And by the way, parents, what kind of message are you sending your kids when on Sunday morning you say, oh, it's a pretty day today. Hey, let's not go to church. Let's go to the beach. Or, oh, you know what? Let's just sleep in today. What kind of message are you sending your kids? Here's the message. And look, I'm trying to save you a bunch of tears 10, 15 years down the road here. What kind of message are you sending your kids? Your kids, they see it. More is caught than taught. And your kids seeing you laying in the bed or going to the beach on Sunday, they know church is not a priority. And when they're graduated from high school, they're gone. You say, they don't wanna come to church, Pastor Mike. Who's the parent? Listen, well, they'll come with a bad attitude. It's okay. Hey, the pastors and elders and the staff here, we're used to dealing with bad attitudes. No problem at all. Just be the parent. I grew up Roman Catholic. I never missed mass one weekend of my entire life for 20 years. And then, big change, I went from the Catholic church to the Baptist church for 10 years. And I was there every Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night on a consistent basis. You say, that's legalism. Listen to this. I got the word of God in my heart, and it changed me, right? It changed me. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And then in 1999, I walked into a Calvary Chapel, and I've never turned back since, and I thank God for a church that emphasizes the verse-by-verse teaching of God's word. And then don't just get it on Sundays. Get it every day. And so that means get a good study Bible. Now, I love, and this is my, my preference, but I love the Ryrie Study Bible. You've heard me talk about it before. But that Bible has been a huge blessing to me in the last two years. And so what I do, I don't try to read through the Bible in one year. It's just too much for my schedule. So I usually take one or two chapters every morning, and I have my appointment with the Lord. It's not with my wife and the Lord. It's me and the Lord. I pray with my wife later. Okay, it's just me and him, and I open up his word, and I read it, and I'm in Ezekiel. And I, I have to confess this to you, but even, even though I'm a pastor, I forgot a lot of what Ezekiel's about. But thank God I had a study Bible. And so I read the introduction over and over and over, and then I read a couple verses, and I read the notes in the bottom. I don't agree with 100% of what Charles Ryrie says. I, I agree with about 98, 99%. It's solid stuff. 
And what happens is that I get an explanation for the word of God and light bulbs begin to come on and I'm in the presence of the Lord and he's changing me, sanctifying me, making me more like Christ. He wants to do that in all of our lives. And so I encourage you, go to amazon.com. We had some out in the cafe, but they're gone. We'll order some more. But get a good study Bible. Spend time with the Lord. And when you do that, You shall know the truth. Truth will set you free. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.